Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we'd love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Um, today we're honored to have Dr. Eddie Cole. He is the district, Eastern District Superintendent for the Eastern District of the EFCA, and he's our guest preacher today. Eddie was born and raised in East Tennessee, and after meeting Jesus and having his life radically changed as a young adult, he immediately had a heart to reach people with the gospel. It wasn't long before he knew nothing other than a life committed to ministry that would satisfy him. Over the years, his journey has taken him from serving in small towns in the South to the great mission field of New York City. For nearly 13 years, Eddie has served as, served as senior pastor at Salem Church on the North Shore whoo, of Staten Island. It's very exciting. While serving there, the church experienced a wonderful spiritual revitalization and had a great, deep impact in the community. He and his wife, Jessica, which is a great name, are Liberty University alumni where their daughter, Madison, is currently a student. He has degrees from Liberty Theological Seminary and a Doctor of Ministry from Dallas Theological Seminary. And after more than 20 years in the ministry, Eddie's main passion is still to share the gospel in word and in deed. The, as district superintendent, his calling is, is to come alongside pastors and leaders in order to help them live well and to lead their ministries with vision and passion so that Christ will be glorified throughout this district. His belief is it takes healthy leaders to lead healthily in growing churches, and only healthy growing churches will reproduce disciples, leaders, and new ministries, and that is the aim of the Eastern District. Will you please give a warm RHC welcome to Eddie Cole. And thank you, Jess. I just want to say it's been a thrill to be with uh, you guys today here in D.C. I'm such a tourist when I come here, uh, just walking around after this afternoon, just walking all around. What I enjoyed this afternoon was walking around the neighborhood, uh, not just seeing the typical sights and stuff, but going at the best coffee I think I've ever had. Uh, what was the name of that, Jess? She's not paying attention. She, I've already lost her this fast. I've not even started preaching. What's the name of that coffee shop? Para, Peregrine, so incredible. Any coffee lover needs to go over there. I just want to say that. Uh, but it's just been great this morning. <laughs> I got an amen. Amen. Uh, just want, it's been great. And to see the, the, I go into a lot of churches up and down the East Coast. I work from about halfway up the state of New York all the way down through uh, Virginia. And um, I go to a lot of churches where there's virtually no young people. I, there's just not a lot of life coming from the teens and the 20s in some of the churches I go to. And so to come here and to see just the opposite was really cool. I saw like one couple here earlier today in their 40s or 50s, and I was like, my peers. <laughs> and we were like the oldest people here, and I was like, wow, this is weird. But uh, anyway, all that being said, uh, it's just been a privilege to be here and to be here with the, the same Sunday as Apex. The Apex crowd down from Easton, Pennsylvania, and Pastor Tim Ackley, and you guys just know that you're in our prayers this week. Uh, David Borma is a good friend of mine. David Borma is the missionary that leads uh, the Apex student ministry. So RHC, I hope you guys get to meet this team uh, as the week goes on. So with all that being said, it's just been a real joy to be with you today. And I wish my wife could be with me. Maybe next time I get to come down, uh, she will be. Um, Anyway, let me jump into the Word. So whether you turn your Bible on or you turn in and you're old school, then uh, let's go to Psalm 1, Psalm number 1, and let's get into the Word together. And today I want to talk with you uh, about the difference that the wisdom of the Word makes. <clears throat> the difference that the wisdom of the Word makes. Now, the local church is about to start, I think, a four-week series through the Psalms, and so uh, I want to just kick this off today by, by at least kind of laying out a couple of thoughts for you. Psalms really is kind of like an Old Testament worship hymnal. There are prayers, there are hymns, there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's history, there's, there are pro what the Proverbs does with pithy little sayings, uh, Psalms does with music. Uh, how many of you learn... Uh, songs rather quickly, and once you learn a song, the words to it, 
Even if you try to forget it, it's stuck in your head. Can anybody identify with that? You ever had a song get stuck in your head? You wish you could just get right out of there. You wish you could like erase it. I hate that. I'm sure you do as well. We all do. But back in the Old Testament days, uh, one of the ways, the main ways that they would teach would be that they would put words and teaching, whether it's historical, theological, whatever it is, they would put their lessons to music. A lot of that we have in the Psalms. There's theology, there's history, there's stuff that, reveal, that God reveals about himself. There's prophecy. You want to see a, a look of, uh, of Jesus kind of looking down from the cross written by David, Psalm 22. Go over there. The book of Psalms is a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, it's got all kinds of stuff in it. Now, you we're only going to cover four different types of Psalms. And today I want to sp primarily speak with you about the wisdom of getting into the Word of God. And the Psalms encourages that over and over again. And the psalm that we're going to read, Psalm 1, is really the preface to the whole book. It really kind of lays it out there, the wisdom that you get by living in the Word of God. And so with that being said, I want us to read Psalm 1, and it's only six verses, so we're going to read the whole thing. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you guys pray with me for just a minute? <clears throat> I want to invite you while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed to pray a real simple prayer. Just ask the Lord to speak to you for what you need right now. I'm going to give you about 20 to 30 seconds of just silence to talk to the Lord on your own. You need to hear from the Lord. You don't need to just hear from me. So I'm going to let you pray, and then I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over each one of us. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you how it guides us to your son, Jesus. We thank you that no matter who we are, where we are, what age or stage we are, you know exactly what we need and you know how to speak to us in that spot. So, Father, I pray right now that you would protect us from any distraction. I pray that you would bind the enemy. I pray that you would have complete freedom in this place to move. Speak to your people today, Lord, we need you. God, I confess to you, apart from you, I'm just talking. But Lord, we don't want to just hear a guy talk for a little while. We want to hear from you. So Lord, come, please, in the power of your spirit and make this word come alive to our hearts. And Lord, when it's all said and done, we pray that Jesus would be exalted and every one of us would be drawn closer to him. And we pray this for his glory. Amen. Amen. Now, there are three questions that are going to frame the message for you. The first one I might spend a little bit longer on. Uh, this morning when I preached basically the same message, I spent too much time on the first part of the message. But I'm going to get across three questions to you that basically every preacher or every teacher needs to be asking and answering, trying to answer when they get up to speak or to teach from the Bible. Number one, what does the Bible say? What does this psalm say? Not just what do I think about it, what do I believe, but what is it actually saying? The second question that I want to hopefully answer is, is it true? Hopefully, we are going to come to the conclusion, yes, it's true. And let me go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. It is true. <laughs> so the third thing that we're going to answer, or at least ask, and this is really where it's kind of the takeaway, is what difference does it make? 
We're talking about a 2,000, actually about a 3,000-year-old psalm. What difference does this make for me today? What difference does this make for you today? So those are the three questions, and I want you to just kind of walk through these with me as we consider what God has to say to us. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to look at the text first. I want you to look at the text with me, and we're going to see that what this text, what this psalm is doing, is basically showing a contrast between two types of people. It's showing a contrast between the blessed person or the blessed person, and it's showing the contrast with the wicked. Now, let me go ahead and um, elaborate on that just a little bit, because when we talk about the blessed or the blessed, when, when you see that word or when you hear that word and when you think about it from a biblical context, those of you that grew up in church, when you think about the first word being blessed are or blessed is, what do you think about? Sermon on the Mount. It's when Jesus starts talking about blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are you name the, the others, but blessed are these people. And the idea is that these people are happy. They are fulfilled. They have a blessed life. There's something about the divine, something about God that is on them that makes them, them uh, qualitatively different from the people around them. You contrast them in Psalm 1 with the wicked. Now that sounds awful. Now you came to church today, and for those of you that are here maybe for the first time, you're wondering, now am I blessed or am I wicked? I, I want you to understand that this was a, a, an oversimplification, a qualification, a, a, a description, if you will, of someone who is basically not just evil. It's not a, you know, a little red character with a pitchfork. It's not that kind of insulting thing. It's certainly not a witch with a broom and a long hat. Um, this is basically just a psalmist saying, listen, there are two types of people, those who honor the Word of God and try to live by it, and those who don't. And those who don't are making a decision to reject, to refuse, or to walk outside the will of God. And if God is God, and if God has revealed himself to us to ultimately have the opportunity to know that word and deny it or reject it or to live outside of it, that's tough stuff. That's an arrogant statement. And so this psalmist is basically laying it out in very simple categories, the blessed and the wicked. Now, with that being said, I don't want anyone being insulted by the term the wicked. Now you know what it's talking about by way of definition. It's just talking about anyone who is not walking according to the will and the revelation of God. Are we all understood in that? Say amen if you're understanding with that with me. All right. So with that being said, here's the contrast. It contrasts three different ways. Number one, worldview. Number two, fruit or product of life. And then number three, outcome. So let's look first at the worldview, verses 1 and 2. It starts by saying blessed, blessed, blessed are these people. Blessed is the man who doesn't do some things. And this is how it starts. This person is blessed, fulfilled on the right road. He doesn't do these things. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, he doesn't live according to the directives of culture to the prevailing advice of those without Christ. That's essentially what that's saying. It's just someone who's not seeking their counsel from the Kardashians, and no insult to the Kardashians, probably shouldn't do that. Um, whatever, you know, whatever the culture is, whatever the end's coming out of entertainment or whatever, it's, you're not taking your cues from the society around you. This person is, they're listening to something different, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But this person is not taking cues, not taking suggestions or directives according to the outside culture. Secondly, this person is not just walking according to that counsel, but they clearly don't take a stand in the way of sinners. Now, to go from taking advice to taking a stand, it's getting a little more firm. This is a, a more active stance against. Uh, this is someone who's standing in a path of those who are sinning. And by talking about sinners, that actually does mean they are in open rebellion. They would know the revelation of God. They would know the will of God. And yet they would say they don't care. The blessed person 
male or female, which is what this is referring to, the blessed person is not going to take a stance. They're not going to find their community with, their alignment with those who are taking an absolute stance against the revealed word of God. So they're not walking according to the counsel of those who are walking without Christ. Though they live among them, they're not walking according to their counsel. And then as it comes to taking a stand for someone or for something, they are not taking a stand with those who are opposing the revealed will of God. And then thirdly, they certainly are not taking a seat among those who are scoffing. They're not sitting in the seat of the scoffer. In other words, they've gone from taking advice passively, they're kind of getting it, to now they're taking a stand with those who are rebelling against God to the degree that now they've taken a seat. They're in a position where they are actually comfortable where they are, and they are no longer just kind of taking advice, not just taking a stand, but now they're speaking. Someone who is scoffing is actually saying something. They are verbalizing. They are coming out with an opinion, a belief, a something. And what the Bible is saying is blessed is the person, this blessed person is not in a seat of someone who is scoffing against God. Scoffing against the revealed will of God. They're, they're not doing that. But this person is different from that. And, it, and you can see that in, at the end of verse 2. This person's delight, this person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And this person's delight is in meditating in that both day and night. Now Romans chapter 12, over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he talks to them. He writes the first 11 chapters, and he gives them all this rich theological stuff, and he tells them about, about the theology of the New Testament, about how we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet we can all find forgiveness and salvation through faith in Christ and not according to our works. And, and because of this grace, we, he moves along, ultimately getting to Romans chapter 11. He ends chapter 11, and he starts Romans chapter 12. And what do we do with all this great theology in the first 11 chapters? He says, therefore, I, I beseech you, I implore with you, I encourage you, because of all these mercies that have been given in the first 11 chapters, present your bodies. It's an ongoing, continual thing. Keep continuously presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. If you've been given salvation and forgiveness and adoption and promise of heaven, if you've been given all that, what's your response to that? Your response to that is worship. Your response to that is to show up every day and say, thank you, God. I worship you, Lord. I want to follow you, Lord. And so he's saying, continue to do that. And he says in verse 2, Romans 12, he says, and be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed. That word conformed means do not have your mind, your thinking shaped by the world around you. Do not do that. Do not let ungodly voices, wherever they're coming from, do not let the world, and, and the idea of the world is not just like people or planet earth, it's, it's the world system, it's the world's power structures. Do not let the world per se, that, that would be, those outside uh, voices that are active against the Lord, that's what the world is being referred to there. Do not let the world conform your mind, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. Don't let your mind be shaped. Don't let your thinking be shaped by the voices of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is the will of God. That's what it means when it's talking about in this verse, in Romans, excuse me, Psalm 1 verse 2, you're delighting in the law of the Lord both day and night. It means you not only believe in the word of God, but you're actually thinking about it. When it's talking about meditating, it's talking about having that knowledge in your mind, and it's actually there all the time. Are you with me so far? Say amen if you're with me so far. 
I preach faster if you'll, if you'll say amen every now and then. I will get you out. There's a good one. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Okay, so what you've got here is you, you've got the, the blessed man and the wicked. And, and what you have, and you, and you understand that we as believers, we're called to live in the world. We're called to make a difference in the world around us. But we're called to have our minds shaped a certain way. And the only way our minds can be shaped a certain way is to be in the Word of God. That's what the psalmist is saying. You see, what the psalmist is saying is that the blessed person has a God-centered worldview built upon the revealed Word of God. They believe God and they don't believe. The blessed person doesn't believe that God is a cosmic killjoy. But this person believes that the Word of God gives life. Jesus said in John chapter 8 to some of the people who were following him in his day, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Thank you. You see, what we're wanting is freedom. What we're wanting is life. And what this psalmist and what any psalmist would be teaching us is, this, is that the Word of God gives life. Listen to just a few verses from Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, it says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. In verse 18 of Psalm 119, and every one of these verses is Psalm 119. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold the wondrous things in your law. He prays later in verse 43 through 45. He says, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your word. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. You know what that means, I will walk in a wide place? That means though other people are going to be falling around me, there is ground underneath me. There is there's actual space. I have direction. I have wisdom. I know which way to go, though there's confusion in the culture, though there's anger in the culture. Which way do I go? What do I do? Listen, when you're walking with God and you're walking in the Word, you find wisdom that says, here is the way. Walk ye in it. And that's what the psalmist would teach us. Verse 97 and 98 Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Verses 71 through 73. I'm going to just read verse 73. The psalmist says this. He says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding then that I may learn your commandments. Hear what he's saying. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Why is that important? Because what the psalmist is, is presupposing is there is a creator God. That this didn't all just happen randomly, but there is a God who is a creator. He has made us and he loves us. And because of that belief, what this psalmist is saying is if you're willing to speak to me, if you're the maker, if you've got the blueprint and you know the future as well as the past, then I want to know the best way to go. In fact, I don't just want directions. I want you to go with me. That's good stuff. That's what the psalmist is saying. And that's what's happening in Psalm 1. This person is blessed. Know the Word of God, not just because you want to know truth, but because you want to know the one who gives truth. This is where it leads you. Jesus told the Pharisees, you seek to, find, you seek to know the Scriptures, but the Scriptures point you to me. And so here's what I would tell you from Psalm 1. The blessed person is a person who gets to know the God of this Word. The worldview of the, of the blessed and those who, who he's calling the wicked, that person, the, the difference is vast. We believe in a creator God who has purpose and love and value on every one of us. And so we want him and that, in that, is our blessing. Okay, one more time. I need a good amen. That keeps me moving on to point number two. Yes. So the second contrast. We'll get better. By number three, we're going to have this down. So the second contrast is in their fruit. Look with me at verses three and four. He says, it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water 
that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. I don't even know if I need to, to preach that or even teach much about it, but I, I, let me give a couple of points of explanation here. The person who is blessed is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Now what that means, uh, as far as scripture goes, a, a tree is not always bearing fruit. It has seasons for it. A person uh, who would be bearing fruit in season, that would mean that there are seasons in our lives when we need certain things and people around us need certain things. And in those seasons, at that particular time, because we are in the Word of God and because the Holy Spirit is using the Word of God to form us to become more like Christ, then what happens is that the fruits of our lives are able to feed other people around us. We're life-giving. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. So in other words, let me give it to you like this. Um, D.L. Moody one time, who was a famous evangelist from over a century ago, was asked by a lady in one of the meetings. uh, He made some sort of a comment about the sadness of, of a child dying or something like that. And the lady came up and said, but I thought if your son's ready to go to heaven that you should be ready to receive that as from the Lord. And his answer to her was, dear, dear sister, God never gives grace before it's needed. Only in that season will God make me able to let my child go. In other words, you don't need strength to let your child die until it's time for that. God doesn't give you all that before God gives you all that in that season. Some people uh, are praying for perseverance. The reason they're praying for perseverance is because they need it in a given season. How many students need perseverance on occasion at the end of the spring semester? Yeah, that I got an amen with. You know, I mean, sometimes you work with a coworker who is on your ever-loving nerves. And do you not need love and forgiveness for that person? And in that season, God gives you that. Or God gives you patience. God gives you something that is not naturally you. When you are loving, when in fact in your flesh you would be something other than that, you can know where that's traceable back to. When you are patient in a given season, when in fact in your flesh you are impatient, you know where that's coming from. When you are able to forgive when somebody betrays you, when somebody hurts you, when somebody steals your promotion, when these kind of things happen, when you are forgiving in that moment, where is that coming from? Where is that fruit? When you have forgiveness, it's coming from the Lord. And that's what it's talking about. The blessed person is like a tree planted by the streams of water. And in season, whatever it is you need, it's there. But not only that, just another little word of explanation. It says its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. When it's talking about him prospering, when it's talking about the blessed person prospering, that's a hard one to swallow because just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that we always get ahead. When it says that the blessed person prospers in everything that he does, does that mean that Christians get straight A's? Does that mean that Christians are are always the first ones to get promoted? Does that mean that we never have the bad times? These are rhetorical, theoretical questions, and the answer to every one of them is absolutely not. You see, the reality is, is that the prosperity that we are promised, we don't always see this side of heaven. But in fact, we, we are looking at things from a different standpoint. We are looking at things from a different standpoint from those in the world because everything in the, our world says, you better do the best you can right now because this is all there is. But the blessed person who's living in light of the Word of God is living in light of the fact that we're going somewhere. This is not the end, but we're headed somewhere. And so our prosperity is not here. We are laying up treasures on the other side. 
And in everything that we do for the Lord, Colossians chapter 3, in everything that we do for the Lord, whether it's eating or drinking, whether it's, whether it's working or going to school, whatever we do for the Lord, the Lord sees every single one of those things. And the scripture is very clear. Jesus says that we're laying up treasures in heaven. Be sure of this. There's a difference in our prosperity. It's there, though it's not always seen. The second thing that it says is that the wicked, you know, it's, there's something different. It says they're like the chaff. The wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. In the New Testament, Jesus gives a, a parable. He talks about the wheat and the tares. And for those of you that don't know anything about that, essentially what that means is that the, when a farmer goes out and sows wheat, he throws the seed in the ground and then it grows up together. And for a season, it looks the same. And the only time that you know what's real and has something in it from, uh, from what's real and what's, what's wheat and what's chaff is in the end, in the judgment. When it's ultimately harvested, some of those things that look like wheat, it's empty on the inside. And it, it just blows away. They just toss it up. They've got a little uh, thing that they sift with and they throw it up and the wind blows and what's, what's real will come back down and what's not will be blown away. And what this psalm is teaching is that the person who's blessed, who's walking with God, what you are doing, only that is real. And the prosperity of the world, the prosperity in, in the eyes of so many, it's not even real, it's not even lasting. I wish I had plenty of time to talk about that, but we're going to keep moving. One more contrast. We've seen the contrast in worldview. We've seen a contrast in fruit. One is, is real and it's constant. The other one, by the way, is temporary. It's not always constant and it's not even always real. It's not always substantial. It promises, but it doesn't deliver. How many of you have heard of a celebrity or an entertainer or a very wealthy person just recently, it, breaks, it genuinely breaks my heart. I, I mean, I just wish somebody had gotten to Kate Spade and was able to say to her, please, can I pray with you? Can I talk with you? You're depressed. You're down. Can, I, can, I, can you come to my life group with me? Can we spend a day together? That, that suicide and depression is a killer. It just, it just breaks my heart when that happens. You see, the only thing in those times, this was a woman that had it all. There's fame, there's money, there's notoriety, there's all this. What happens? What about Anthony Bourdain? Same thing. It just breaks my heart. You see these people and you're like, uh, story after story. We could go on and on with this kind of stuff. Money, prosperity, in the eyes of the world, fame, all this kind of stuff. It can be good and it, God can use it. But sometimes it can just show you how empty all of that is. I lived in New York City. I've known plenty of rich people. I've known people who've had some notoriety. And I can tell you their struggles are just the same, sometimes only magnified. But here's the thing. There's a contrast between the fruit of the blessed and the fruit of those that are walking outside the will of God. And the last one, quickly, is this. The outcome is so different. When you look at verses 5 and 6, it says there's a contrast, not only in the in that there are two kinds of people. One will stand in the judgment. The one won't. The other won't. Sinners in the congregation of the righteous, they won't even be there. In the end, in heaven, in God's kingdom, those that have said this side of heaven, well, I don't want anything to do with your kingdom. In the end, God says, okay, have it your way. But it's not only that they won't be there, but even the way of the wicked won't be there. And the end of verse 6, it says the way of the wicked will perish. One day when we get to, the, to, to be in the Lord's presence, essentially what we're going to find is that all the ways that lead us away from the Lord, it'll be gone. Thank God for that day. Thank God for that day anyway, especially in the sense that we will no longer be tempted. We'll no longer be distracted. We'll no longer be beaten down because the truth is, I want to ask you this second question. I struggle with the question of, is this true or not? Wow. I'm the preacher. I'm the one up here telling you this word. And now I'm asking you a question. Is it true? Let me come at that from a couple of different angles. Number one, I'm going to tell you, I'm not that blessed man. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I don't meditate day and night all the time in the law of the Lord perfectly. 
Do you? I'm quite easily distracted. And you can see that in the way that I I live my life. You can see that in my attitude. I am easily distracted. I'm not always meditating on the Bible. I wish I meditated more on the Bible. I wish, and by way of meditation, I mean we're thinking. Our minds are being shaped, and, and I'm thinking about the Word of God. I wish I thought about it more. I wish it consumed me more, but the reality is I struggle. I'm tempted, and my attitude shows it. 20 minutes after church, I can be driving down the road, and somebody pull over in front of me, do something stupid, and I'm going to tell you right now, too often, my initial reaction is not, God bless you. (laughs) Amen. Somebody's catching on. I'm too easily distracted. And and in fact, the truth be told, sometimes I'm so tired, I'm like, I don't want to read the Bible. I just want to watch Parks and Rec and go to sleep. Or something stupid, you know. I just like like turn my mind off. I, I, that's not me. I'm not the. I'm not that person. I'm not perfect. So personally, is that true? I couldn't tell you because I'm not that person. But it's not about just me, and it's not about just you. Secondly, though, um, I would say generally speaking, the, answering the question of whether or not this is true, let's ask it from a, a, just looking around the world. Does it seem to you like those who are trying to live for God are advancing and and enjoying a much better life than those that are not walking with God? Would anybody identify with me and say, those that live without moral scruples sometimes seem to make more money, have more fun, and life is just easy? Does it not seem to you that way occasionally? By the way, in case you're thinking, I can't believe he just said that in church. It's in the Psalms. Psalm 73. This guy named Asaph, he was a worship leader when when King David was around. He wrote 10 of the Psalms. How many of you would think that qualifies this guy to be a pretty good guy? He wasn't a Christian. Jesus hadn't been around in that time. But he was a faithful believer, and he was a song leader. He wrote 10 out of 150 psalms, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, all written by a guy named Asaph. And you know what Asaph had to say when he was looking around? He writes the first, at least after the first couple of verses, about verses 3 through 11, he talks about how easy the wicked in Psalm 1 have it. And in verse 12, here's a verse 12, here's what he says, Behold, these are the wicked, they are always at ease, and they increase in riches. All in vain, he says, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So if you're, if you're a believer and you think, if you're a Christian teenager and you're thinking, I'm trying to remain pure. I'm trying to not do what my friends are doing. If you're, if you're working in government or you're in a business world and you're thinking, but they do those little cheats and they just get ahead. Or they do this certain thing and I'm doing it this way and I'm supposed to be blessed by doing it God's way and they just keep getting promoted and they get the opportunities. I just want you to know that's exactly what Asaph was saying. But listen to the antidote. Please hear me. And I think it's good that you know that this humanity, this struggle, is in the book of Psalms. A lot of times you go to church and you hear platitudes and you don't think there's humanity. And and even if you're an unbeliever, you're not sure where you stand. You think, but the Bible doesn't really address questions that I'm really curious about. You know, this is what I observe. I just want you to know there's a lot more in there than you may think. And here's what Asaph says. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God... And then I discerned, I remembered the end of those living apart from God. That's what he's saying. He says, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish, ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, God. He goes on to say, thank you, God, for not giving up on me. 
He says, for my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. So the answer to whether or not this is true, I just want to say because it's true doesn't make it easy. When you look around, you're going to struggle with it. But I'm going to tell you, yes, absolutely, it's true. Now let me tell you how I know it's true, and this is how I want to finish. Here's how you know this, tr- this is true. Because there is one that has come. There is one in human history who has lived this life of the blessed man. And that's Jesus. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Okay, if they didn't say amen next to you, reach over and give them a gentle elbow. I don't want any fighting in church or anything. But I don't want anyone to miss how I'm going to end this. Here's the thing. There is one who has tested this, fulfilled this, and gives us hope. And that would be Jesus. You see, Jesus, even from a young boy, he tells his mother, he says, am I not to be about my my father's business? He goes up in the temptation, and when when he's tempted to eat food, he says, "I, I have bread to eat that you know not of. And he's talking about doing the will of God. When he's talking about the word of God, he's talking about how, uh, how he lives his life with religious leaders in his day. And he says to some of the religious leaders, he says to them, I do nothing of my own accord, but I do what the Father tells me. I speak only what he tells me that I should speak, and this is what I do. He listens and obeys the word of God. He says, not one jot or tittle should is not going to be fulfilled. Not, not any part of the word of God is going to be passed over, but it will all be fulfilled. And you look at his life and you see the way that he lived. Think about this with me, guys. Think about this. Talk about fruit in season. It's not just that he could heal the sick. It's not just that he could offer forgiveness for the, for the prostitute, for the leper. He could bring healing. It's not just that he could do these things, but talk about fruit in season. He's betrayed. And with Judas, what does he say to him? Do what you have to do quickly. And when Judas comes with him, what does he do? Let's him kiss him on the cheek. How many of you think you would be doing that in that moment? That would be what a lot of us would be doing. Peter, on the other hand, pulls out his little sword, which is just a little one, and he's like, it's go time. And he starts swinging, and he cuts the dude's ear off. What does Jesus do? Takes the guy's ear, puts it back on, tells Peter, put it up. When Jesus is out there, and and he's hanging on the cross, what is he saying? He's looking around at them and he knows they don't know what they're doing. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When you think about all that Jesus did, he's the one that's the blessed man. Then we know that God hears his prayer and everything he does prospers because he did die on the cross. He said, it is finished. And what he does is he commends his soul to the Father. He's laid in a tomb and he's risen that third day. You've heard the story. He died for us. There's no greater need in all the world than that right there. Talk about fruit in season. All of human history in that moment got the best fruit of a blessed man that it will ever get. And in that moment, he's risen from the grave. And from that point for weeks, he reveals himself to many different people. He looks at them and he says, touch me. He says, come walk with me. (laughs) He looks at doubting Thomas and invites him closer. He goes to Peter who had had bailed out on him. What, What does he do with Peter? He reinstates him in the ministry. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. (laughs) Feed my sheep. Talk about a word in season. That was what Peter needed. Guys, don't leave here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what happens then? He ascends back to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit is given. It's amazing. You know, you're looking around. It's about 120. There's There's the disciples or the apostles, and then there's a bunch of men and women, the 120 
Nobody's looking at them thinking, wow, Jesus just changed the world. Nobody's thinking that. But in fact, that's exactly what just happened. You see, in light of history, we can look back on it now. I was in Rome last year. Now, I say that like I go to Rome about every other year or something. I've never been to Rome before. But I will tell you that I was in Rome last year, and we were outside the Colosseum getting this incredible tour. And as we're out there, we're getting this tour. Um, the tour guide's kind of walking around giving all these descriptions. She's talking about the Emperor Nero who was around a, a couple of decades after Jesus, and he was the main, the chief persecutor of the church. He was the one that, that was going after the Christians. I mean, burning them, I mean, burning them alive. He was impaling their bodies and using them as, like, lights, uh, putting them out in, in, in a field, the Circus Maximus, and he, he's putting them out there so that people can watch and see wild animals chase after them. This is, this is a sick, twisted man. And why is he doing this? Because he can. Because he's a maniac. He's a demon-possessed maniac who thinks that he's flexing his muscles and he's corralling the favor of the people that are alive in that day. And what he's doing is he's flexing his muscles against God and against this little ragtag group of people who are following the way. And that would be Jesus. Just want you to know Nero died. And when Nero died, he hadn't killed all the Christians. As a matter of fact, they were multiplying like crazy. And when Nero died, this tour guide, who's an unbeliever, tells us that within three years of Nero's death, the people he thought he was gaining their favor ransacked the temple that he had built for himself and pretty much demolished the whole thing. They took everything out of it. They took all the metals, all the valuables in there. They took it all out, melted it down, and used it for other purposes. He had built an image, like a big, a big statue out in front of this temple that he built to himself, overlaid it with gold. He did all this, and, and within three years, it's all broken down and everything's in tatters. To this day, you can still see the foundation of that temple and like an empty shell of a building. Here's the awesome thing. My wife was saying, what's going on with you? I'm standing up there, and I'm, I'm like looking, and I've got just tears are up in my eyes, and my wife's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, look up there. And just behind, where, from where I was standing, looking at the temple that Nero built to bring honor and glory to himself with all of his wisdom, with all of his power, with everything that human might could achieve, that temple is down. And what's behind it, very clearly, just by, I don't know, anywhere from 50 to 100 yards, is a high tower. And on top of that tower, guess what's there? A cross. My wife looked at me the same way you're looking at me. So what? <laughs> Here's all I can say. Nero, with all of his power, thought that he could stop this Christianity. He thought he could kill the Christians, put an end to all this stuff. And here we are 2,000 years later. Nobody cares about Nero. Nobody's naming their kid Nero. Nobody's got posters of Nero. Nobody's, nobody's talking about him except for me. And here's all I can tell you. Up high, you see a cross, and that cross screams loudly. Nero went down, and Jesus went up. And this is what happens when God's Word takes effect in a person's life. This is what happens when God's Word takes effect in a church, in a people. When God starts to move, all the wisdom and the strength and the power of man, it will fail. But Jesus Christ will be exalted. It may take 100 years or 2,000 years. None of us may see everything that we're hoping to see on this side of heaven, but rest assured, in time, in time, his word will prevail, and no power on earth or in hell can stop it. Amen. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but what does this do? So what? So what? First and foremost, it's just simply this. 
Number one, it demands us to make a choice. Are you going to be a person who will be blessed and listen to the Word of God? Give your heart and your life to the Word of God. This morning, I kind of asked this question, and I just kind of left it out there like as a point of information. What kind of person will you be? But if I could really get to know you, could I just tell you, I would beg you, please listen to the Word of God. Please draw into the Word of God. Please be that blessed person. Let me tell you why. Because all eternity hangs on it in your life. God has proven himself. God has proven his love for you. And he sent a a converted hillbilly here to tell you today, be a blessed person by giving your life to Jesus, who is the living word of God. And the second thing I'll say as I close, if you want to come and we're getting ready to pray and sing a song, is this. Make that choice foundationally, but also make that choice daily. Guys, listen to me. This would be a great time to start new habits. Get in the word of God. Whichever way you do it, whether it's the old school, any old school Bible lovers in here, or those of you that like to do it on your devices, get in the Word of God, learn the Word of God, and let the Word of God get into you, and ask God to allow that to shape your mind and your heart for His glory. Can I get one big amen as we close? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I just want to encourage you right now, give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. He's alive. He's changed me, and I know he'll change you. He'll forgive you of every sin, and he'll meet you where you are and help you live for him. You can't do it on your own. Don't commit the law, the rules, the church. Commit to Christ. He loves you. He wants to walk with you. He's shown that. So give your heart to him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll walk with us throughout the rest of this service as we transition now to respond in worship through communion, through song. Take your word and let it blaze in our hearts that we would be blessed men and women, that we might bear that eternal fruit And give us faith to see that even if it doesn't come before our eyes this side, that one day you will. You will show us. You were paying attention with every good deed, everything big or small. You were paying attention. So, Lord, we commit this to you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you not only that he fulfilled it, but that he paid the price for those of us who couldn't. He made it possible for us to be blessed. Help us to walk in this wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.